All right, all right, all right. If we could have everyone return to their seats, we are going to get started. And I am going to introduce our special guest speaker. Beth is not here today. She's out of town, out of state. She's in Florida at a conference. And so we have a wonderful guest speaker who's going to be with us today. She works at Fairfax Church in Fairfax, Virginia, and works for the World Relief as an international developer. Right? Did I get it right? Close enough. Okay. <laughs> She's here with her husband, Yomi, and her name is Lonry. If you guys could welcome her up, that'd be great. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's so good to be here. Uh, I am really honored to be here and be stepping in for Beth while she's away. I've been a big fan of your church for a very long time, and so it's really cool to be here um, and to be with all of you. As James mentioned, I'm here with my husband, Yomi, uh, my dear friend, Elizabeth, and I've got my parents are watching online, so hi, Mom and Dad. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's really great to be here. Thank you for having me. So we're in week four of the series that Beth has been teaching on fasting and feasting. And we've been asking, what does it look like to uncover what we most long for and ask God to satisfy us, to fill our hunger, and to fill our desire? Throughout scripture, God uses food or the lack thereof to uncover our deepest longings to show us either that you ha actually have enough or to say what you actually need is me, is God. And so God uses food not just to satiate our bellies, but to create space for us to meet him and so that he can fill our spirits. So uh, this series has been a bridge between that 40-day period um, that we call Lent that started last Wednesday at Ash Wednesday. It goes all the way through Easter. And as Beth reminded you, uh, week after week, Lent is not actually found in the Bible. It's in the church calendar. And it's that uh, period that the church has decided that fasting, uh, reflection, repentance is useful to prepare for Lent. So Lent doesn't change the presence of God in our lives, but it can make us more aware of his presence in our lives. We can't self-discipline our way to heaven but we can use Lent to stop stuffing ourselves with things that don't actually fill us so that we can have capacity for what God actually has for us. We started this series off with a look at the first recorded meal. Two people ate from a tree to their ultimate destruction. You looked at stories in the Old Testament like Jacob and his hunger for blessing, the children of Israel, the bread of affliction, and if you move to the New Testament, there are lots of examples of Jesus and food. He feeds 5,000 people on the side of a hill. He goes to the home of Simon. A woman comes in and anoints his feet there. Um, he goes to the home of Lazarus, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Uh, one of them is fussing over the meal. The other one sits at his feet. And he washes the feet of the disciples at the Last Supper. We see that when Jesus eats with people, he eats with intentionality. He recognizes that eating is not just eating. And when he shares a meal with people, it's an opportunity for him to enter into their lives um, and to do something new. 
So today, we're going to be looking at another first meal. It's the first meal that Jesus sits at after he is resurrected. It's a fascinating story. It's got intrigue, it's got mystery, it's got heartburn, a moment of recognition. Um, But before that, I want to talk to you about our hunger for understanding. If you ask me, the theme of my walk with God would probably sound something like, Jesus, make it make sense. I say it as kind of a command that I'm yelling at the ceiling. Uh, Sometimes it's a desperate plea. God, please make this make sense somehow. I said it when I didn't get uh, a job in my field right after graduation. I said it when it felt like everything that could go wrong went wrong before my wedding day. I said it when I experienced pregnancy loss. I said it when I got laid off from a job that I loved. And I've said it when good things happened too. Uh, When I landed an amazing role in leadership at work or when I got invited to speak at a church in Clarksburg. (laughs) God, what are you up to? How is this all gonna make sense? This deep desire for meaning, to make sense of things, to understand, um, is what makes us human. From an early age, we see children staring. They're putting things in their mouth. They're touching. They're experimenting, climbing all over everything. They're trying to make sense of the world of themselves as well. As they get older, they start to ask the million whys. Um, We get older and we start to understand cause and effect. We begin to believe that there's a pathway from here to there if I just do the right things, believe the right things, act the right way. Many of us don't get uh, too much older before we realize that these rules and the order of things doesn't actually work out that way. It doesn't work out the way that we thought. And when our world doesn't make sense, we use a lot of cognitive and emotional energy in trying to figure out why. We want it to make sense. In a minute, I'm going to ask you uh, to turn to your neighbors and have a little bit of a discussion. And so I'm gonna give you a question that you're gonna be uh, discussing with those around you. And the question is, in what area of my life am I hungry to understand what is happening or what to do next? I'll give you some examples to get you thinking. Um, So maybe it's that you didn't get the job that you thought you were shooing for, or your spouse doesn't reciprocate love the way that you need them to. God, why is this happening? Maybe your children aren't behaving the way that you expect them to. Maybe your health is failing in a new or surprising way. God, how is this going to make sense? Or maybe it's a good thing. You've met someone and the relationship holds promise. Or you've been given a new and exciting way to use your gifts and talents. God, what are you up to? So go ahead. And it's a little bit intimidating. I love that Beth says, you know, this is broccoli time. Like, you don't want to eat your vegetables, but we do it because it's good for us. So broccoli time. Find some people. What is an area that you're maybe struggling to understand? What is a question that you have for God about what's happening in your life today?
Thank you all so much for sharing. Thank you all. Now that we've gotten in tune with our hunger for understanding, let's get into our text for today. I'm going to set the scene a little bit. Uh, this is a story that we're going to read in Luke. It's in Luke chapter 24. Uh, we're going to take little, be- little bits and pieces of this. So we're going to start in verse 13. And it will be up on our screen. Yep. So um, it's Easter morning. It is the day that Jesus rose. He was crucified on the Friday. It's now Sunday. Um, and it's in the probably early afternoon on that day. Right? So we'll start reading in verse 13. Great. Okay. Uh, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles out from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. As they walked and talked, they discussed these things with each other about how Jesus came up, and then Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. But some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. These are the words of people that were hungry to understand the events of their lives. It's the third day. Their friend and their leader has been killed. Their world is falling apart and they don't understand what's happening. The man that they were convinced was going to rescue Israel and usher in a new and holy kingdom has died, and not just accidentally died. He's been betrayed, handed over, wrongly accused, crucified, the most shameful way to die. This is the exact opposite of what they thought was going to happen. Jesus dying was not part of the plan. They are disappointed. Their expectations have been dashed. Maybe they're even ashamed they ever believed. They are leaving the holy city. They're leaving the fellowship of the believers. They're returning home dejected. And now some are saying that he's alive. What are they supposed to believe? How do they make sense of all of this? So think back to that thing that you were hungry to understand, that question that you had. How long have you spent rehashing that situation and turning it over and over again in your mind, trying to find a reason? How many friends have you discussed it with? How many opinions or insights have you sought from all sorts of places? 
Or maybe you've, you've withdrawn with this question just by yourself. Maybe you're done talking to people and you're just trying to figure it out. We ask ourselves things like, did I miss the cues? How did I not know that this was gonna go sideways? Or what should I do to be in the right position to hear from God, to know what to do in this situation? You'll see in the story that Jesus doesn't shy away from uh, their questions or their confusion. So I invite you to continue to think about taking those questions to Jesus. So in our story, Jesus shows up. Yay, right? This is good. Things should get clearer now. But not at first. They are hungry to understand, and yet Jesus calls them to walk in the mysterious, in the unknown, for a while. Jesus shows up and he's unrecognizable somehow. For us, the reader, we know that it's Jesus, but this pair, they don't. We don't know exactly why the disciples didn't recognize Jesus. The other gospels talk about times after Jesus rose that people didn't recognize him. Um, There's a theme of spiritual blindness that runs throughout the scriptures So perhaps Luke is trying to tell us something about, you know, they don't understand Jesus' place in history, and so they don't understand him in the flesh. It says they were kept from recognizing him. It suggests that it's not so much that Jesus was unrecognizable. It was more that their eyes were kept from being open to him. They didn't recognize Jesus, but Jesus knew them. He knew the full story. From beginning to end, he knows the why, the where, the how. He knows it all. And yet he shows up here asking questions. What are you talking about? What happened in Jerusalem? At this point, this pair think this is a clueless stranger that's going in the same direction as them. In fact, his cluelessness stops them in their tracks. Are you serious? Do you not watch the news? Do you not know what's happening right now? This pattern of God not fully revealing himself or his ways didn't first just show up in this story. In fact, the Bible is filled with statements about God's secret and mysterious ways that he only shows to those to whom he pleases. In Proverbs, it says, it is the glory of God to conceal matter. In Isaiah 45:15, it says, Truly you are a God who hides himself. And Paul exclaims in Romans eleven thirty one, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Friends, we're not God. God is not man. It's obvious but it's got profound implications for our lives. God chooses sometimes to work in mysterious ways for a time. He often withholds the full picture for a purpose so that we may begin to see the work of redemption that he is doing. We'll pick up our story in Luke again, um, verse 25. And Jesus said, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. 
Though Jesus had some harsh words for them, it's not like these people were just completely clueless. They had been turning things over in their minds. It'd been three days. It's clear they've thought of little else since this happened. And they had all the pieces, if you think about it, right? They knew Jesus was a prophet. They knew that he was doing the things that the Torah said the Messiah would do. They knew he had died. They knew it was the third day. They knew the tomb was empty. They were so close. But they didn't understand how to make it all make sense. And so Jesus begins to explain the current circumstances through the lens of scripture. He talks with them through their confusion, through their disappointment, through their doubt. He begins to show them how all of the pieces fit together. He begins to point back to scriptures that they had read their whole lives and show them how it was all pointing to him. He tackles the main sticking point that they had, tells them that the death that they had witnessed was not a deviation from the plan, but it was the plan that had been set in motion from the very beginning. And Jesus journeyed with them. There are lots of stories in the Bible about Jesus just showing up somewhere, but he decides to walk with these people. He taught them, he reminded them of what he had told them before. They had been in the crowd with him, they'd hung out with people that knew him, they had heard him before, they just didn't get it. And so Jesus comes and he gives them this one-on-one tutoring session, essentially. Jesus is building it all up for them, principle by principle again. But he still doesn't tell them who he is or where he's going. If we let him join us, Jesus is faithful to come to us in our questioning. And the scriptures are powerful to reveal truth to us. But we may still be left with a hunger to understand. We still may have questions. So what do we do when we're hungry and God seems to have left us alone? Or he seems to be giving us riddles? Or only a small glimpse of what he's up to? What do we do when we're still burdened with the unknown? We invite him in and we allow him to host the meal. In verse uh, 28 of our uh, passage, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Tradition would have said that they needed to show hospitality to the stranger that they had been journeying with. It was starting to get late. The roads between the cities were not safe. But more than that, and they couldn't quite place it yet, but something inside them was telling them that they needed to spend more time with this person. They needed to hear more from him. And so they insisted that he stay. And they invited him in. And we'll we'll, uh, look at verse 30 now. And when he was at the table with them, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. In true Jesus fashion, even as the invited guest, he takes over the meal. He's the one that lifts the bread. 
He gives thanks. He breaks it. Now, this was a regular meal. These two had not been there when Jesus instituted communion at that last Passover. So it's not that they recognized Jesus because they realized that this was going to be a solemn moment of remembrance. Now, again, we see the evidence of God's mysterious ways because the Bible says their eyes were opened. It's not something that they did on their own. This wasn't a, Jesus, I knew that was you moment. No. The God that had blinded them to what was happening in his infinite grace is opening their eyes and allowing them to see him in his fullness at this meal table. And then Jesus disappears. Again, mysterious God. But this time it's different. Jesus disappears, but he's left them different than when he first appeared to them. Verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told of what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. These two cannot contain their excitement that all of the pieces have fallen together. They rush back to Jerusalem and tell the others, and through them, the message of Jesus is spread throughout the world. In the creation story, when we started this series, we have two people. They're given food by a stranger. They eat it. Their eyes are open. They are ashamed. Fast forward to this story. First meal in the new world order. We have two people. They're given food by a stranger. And he, as he breaks the bread, their eyes are opened. They see themselves in the beauty of the work that God has done for them. They understand why the story is steeped in pain. And they understand how they must respond. Friends, I don't know about you, but when... I'm desperate to understand my life. I'm usually not quick to sit at the table with Jesus. I'm more likely to be pacing and patiently begging for him to show up and explain it to me. I'm slow to quiet my heart enough to insist that he sit down, that he make himself comfortable, that he take over the meal and give me the bread that I need. Yet I know that if we will make room for Jesus at the table of our hearts, if we invite him and allow him to host us, we will see him and experience him in a way that is different and more real than we ever have before. If we embrace what he shows us in his mystery, we ask him for more, he will meet with us and explain things to us to a point in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. 
The truth is we will never fully understand until we get to heaven. But hallelujah, for that day when all of our questions will be answered or they will no longer matter because we will be with Jesus. Jesus came to redeem all that was broken. He calls us to lay down our hunger for understanding, to follow his way of unknown, even of mystery, for a while. We're gonna have a brief time of response, as is the tradition of my home church. And so if you're in the room, there are communion elements, feel free to grab some. Um, if you're watching online, grab some bread or crackers or juice. Um, if you feel led, find somebody to pray with. Um, if you want, write a prayer on your own. But this is an opportunity for you to quiet your heart and let Jesus reveal himself to you in the middle of your mystery. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for being a God that is big enough that we cannot fully understand you. It's sometimes frustrating, but it is a blessing as well. That we can trust a God that is bigger than us. God, I pray for all of the places where we are confused, where we're hungry to understand, and where you are showing us your mysterious side. God, I pray that you would journey with us Reveal your truth to us. Give us your grace to walk um, in the unknown. And God, I pray that uh, we would quiet our hearts long enough for you to speak to us, to reveal yourself to us in a new way. And may you receive all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.